Hello and welcome to another episode of Haunted Histories with yours truly, Penny Griffiths Morgan. Now, you may hear my voice being a bit croaky. No, I'm not auditioning for an 0800 number for you to sort of phone in and hear my voice. I've got COVID, but fear not, we're at a good distance. You should be fine. Now, I'm lucky enough on my episode this, well, this episode really, to be talking to two good friends of mine. They're talking to us, one's from Florida, in Florida and one's in Tennessee. Who says we don't go all over the world for this show? Um, you'll recognise that they've both been on the show before. They're both absolutely amazing. And back in 2021, so last year, they formed a company called History, Highways and Haunts. It's the lovely Dr. Christy Sumner and the gorgeous and very tall, and I'm very jealous of that as well, Miranda Young of Ghost Biker Explorations. Hello, ladies. Hi, Penny. How are you? How are you doing today? Croaky. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for for taking the time to have us on and chat with us today. Oh no, I've been looking. I've been really looking forward to it. It's been a while since we've caught up, isn't it? So, and since I think since we spoke, you took on this jail that we're going to be talking about, Scott County. Why? Why would you take on a project like that? Well, because we wanted a challenge. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, You know, actually, Miranda and I, we met through the paranormal about three years ago, three and a half years ago now. And um, during that friendship, we've we always talked about starting a company that is one really based in historic preservation and then two paranormal research. And so Miranda is from Scott County, Scott County, Tennessee, and she knew of this jail that's really been sitting vacant since 2008. And she said, you know, why don't we, why don't we try this? Why don't we put together a company and really try to see if we can make this work? And, um, you know, we set for several weeks, we got together a business plan, um, pros and cons, um, really coming up with our name, marketing, advertising, and we really utilize Miranda's skills and advertising and graphic design and then my skills in business. And we, we try to put this together and we approached the town of Huntsville, uh, the mayor and the aldermen, and they said, sure, let's give it a shot. So we've been very fortunate so far, but um, that's, it, it really was just a, a labor of love with regard to historic preservation and paranormal research. So how close to the, to the jail do you live, Miranda? Um, so actually growing up, I only lived a matter of minutes from the jail, probably about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, so yeah, that was always a part of, uh, of my life growing up. You know, it was, it's right there in the center of Huntsville, the library and the courthouse is right on the outside of it. So I can remember as a child going into the library and seeing the prisoners at the windows, kind of hanging out the windows <laughs> and just looking at the building because the building in and of itself has such a unique structure and architecture to it. It, it looks like a little castle. And so, um, you know, so as a kid seeing that, it's like, wow, that's so cool. I wonder what it's like, you know, looking at it inside. And so, um, so I, I did move away from there uh, a couple hours south after, uh, after graduating college. However, um, you know, coming back to the area, it really just created a, a great opportunity with, as Dr. Sumner said, with my background in marketing and design and hers in business and criminal justice, Mm. it it was really a no brainer. Mm. And, um, you know, so being able to go back home because I'm in the, I'm in the process now of, uh, transitioning back up there. And so, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm just excited. It was really just a a perfect fit. Wow. I was going to mention, 
Christie's sort of criminal sounds off your criminal background. Not that you're <laughs> criminal. <laughs> you studied no. it. I mean, your PhD is in. My PhD is in public administration with an emphasis on criminal justice. Yeah. yeah. So my ma- my master's is in criminal justice. Wow. Yeah, it does. It, like you say, it's, it's almost like a perfect storm, isn't it? Total serendipity it, it, and all that. It really is. You know, when we looked at the factors that really kind of brought us together and how we really wanted to do this, uh, to Miranda's point, it, it really was something that one is unique because we have our different backgrounds in this, but we're also paranormal investigators. So to be able to really marry those two. And when you look at what we've done, um, we really let the history be the facade of what we're doing with the paranormal being the economic driver. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at the the website, when you look at um, um, all of our marketing and advertising that Miranda's put together, you really see the historical portion being at the front and center. And then the paranormal research with the paranormal teams coming in, you know, we knew that was where the the economic part of this was mm. going to come in. Yeah. So if anyone just heard me laugh just then, I might actually have to put this in the snippets video. One of Miranda's cats has just appeared behind. Hello. And he's looking, looking at me right now. That's Cheeto, and he just oh, wants to be Cheeto. part of it. That's Cheeto. <laughs> it was just so funny the way he sort of crept up behind you and just looked into the camera. So I was trying, I was really trying to listen to what Christy was saying, but I was just engrossing these cats all day. Hmm? Yeah, sorry about that. It actually looks like he's sitting on my shoulder, which he would be perfectly content doing. <laughs> fine by me. It's fine by me. So, but I, mean, um, I understand what you're saying about marrying the history and the I mean, it's haunted histories. That's what. I set this up to do was to marry the two and to get people who are into the paranormal to realize history is interesting and mm-hmm. people who are into history to realize that not everyone who does paranormal investigating is doolally basically and we don't all think every single is a ghost trying to communicate with us exactly but, and one of the things I love about doing my podcast is the fact that I dig into places probably more than most people would and the thing I found absolutely fascinating and it's given me a whole new area of things I want to research <laughs> hmm. um I really don't need any more on that to-do list but I have now we were talking about this just before we came on air and you were telling me that the area I think it's like classes is it the Appalachians yes with mining uh, coal mining mm-hmm. um and that's what leads to some of the most interesting stories to do with the jail mm-hmm and it also links to the jail, the prison or penitentiary, sorry, that Miranda and I, we, you and I talked about, Brushy Mountain. How, yes. how do they all link in? How does it all work? Well, you know, just that whole area, because just to kind of give a little background on Huntsville and Scott County itself, it is located in the southern region of the Appalachian Mountains. And so uh, it's a very, very rural, very, very mountainous area. It's up on the Cumberland Plateau. And so, um, so, so it's a very beautiful area, but it's also, you know, when you use stories back from, from the time of the county's existence, as well as the jail's existence, it was kind of a very wild west type uh, mentality. Mountain justice kind of ruled the day. And, uh, you know, a lot of our stories come from that. But um, the typical, the typical jobs during that early time were either within the timber industry, or the coal mining industry, you know, you can you can look as far up as you know, West Virginia, and and I I believe Pennsylvania and everything, uh, very, very uh, rich in coal mining. And so, 
that area of Huntsville and Southern Kentucky, because it sits literally right on the line of Tennessee and Kentucky. There were a lot of coal mining camps in that area and within, you know, uh, within just miles from Huntsville and within Huntsville itself, there was a lot of coal mining. So with all of that, get uh, you get the strikes, you get the um, the wars, the uh, the battles, that sort of thing. Um, it was not an uncommon thing. And with the jail, as we had spoke about before we came came online, the jail was actually built because of the coal mining and timber boom in the area to really kind of set that example and to, uh, you know, to show they were serious about law and order and also, you know, about the establishment of the town of Huntsville. Was it set, though, to establish law and order or was it set, though, to, to bully the workers into doing what they were told? I don't, I don't think the jail was established to, to do that. Um, you know, as Miranda said, you, you've got to remember now, we're, we're coming off of the tail end of the Civil War in the 1896 area. Um, so that, that's, I mean, 1896 was when Brushy Mountain was established, and we all know that that was established because of the coal mines. I mean, coal was it. Coal was the economic driver of the country at that point, because that is really one of the resources that we had. And so, for, to Miranda's point, from West Virginia down into Tennessee, you do have this fight for dominance to get this coal. Now you do have these workers that are trying to make a living from coal mines, but then you have the state like Tennessee who is using inmate labor. Um, but with regards to our jail, this, this was actually built as, um, to Miranda's point, as, as being, we need to establish ourselves as a community as a, um, a point of, of commerce, really. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we need a jail. We need to show that we are um, a community that revolves around law and order as well. And so I think it wasn't so much to, to punish the workers per se, but it was to give the appearance that law and order is going to prevail, not this, you know, sort of a vigil anti type of justice that was really running rampant through the mountains. I mean, that's one of the things that shocks me. Um, and I'm not sure of the politically correct way of putting this, but <clears throat> when over in the UK we hear of lynchings in America, mm -hmm. we automatically assume it's coloured and black people being lynched. That, that's mm -hmm. kind of what we've been taught to believe. But researching into this, I discovered that of something like 4,000 lynchings that are recorded to have taken place in about a 50-year period a quarter of those were white people being lynched. Mm -hmm. And then yes. and then when I start looking in, I start did my normal thing, go into newspapers, Google, see what comes up. And I found out about the um the lynching of Rome Boyette and Harvey Winchester. And it was shocking, absolutely shocking. Now, that's probably <clears throat> one of the most famous stories that are associated with the jail, mm -hmm. isn't it? Tell tell me about that one. What actually happened? Well, and, you know, just to kind of kind of jump back, you know, to, to what you were talking about with the lynchings and stuff, that was at that time, the most common form of corporal punishment mm -hmm. here in America. And so, um, you know, while this area of Scott County, while there were some 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 racial type lynchings mm -hmm. throughout the existence of the county, which really kind of took took place more. Um, and, and I hate to quote a time frame, but more in the 40s to the 60s, I believe, um, toward the, the height of the racial wars, um, you know, there, there was 
you know, more of that, but, um, but at the jail within itself, every one of the lynchings that they had there were, were all white people. And, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, we don't have any records on any, uh, racial lynchings that took place. And so, um, at least not with our records that what we have within, uh, within the jail, um, because the area that we're from being a very poor rural community, um, there's, there's not a lot of, actually, there's not really very much at all racial or ethnic diversity. Right. Um, it's a primarily white community. And so, um, but we did find statistics that during its time, Scott County had the most lynchings as far as uh, mountain justice within the jail as any other county in Tennessee. And so that's why um, I know Christy spoke on that yesterday um, on our podcast. That's actually why that there became a, a push to to try to get rid of that or try mm-hmm. to eliminate it. They had uh, what petitioned to to the governor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they petitioned to the government. Now that was the, the lynching of uh, William Murphy. Um, right. So yeah, so they, they did. And, and that was the fourth lynching out of the jail. And to Miranda's point, at that point, the, the community was really getting sick of vigilante justice. Uh, they wanted to be represented as the county seat. They wanted to be represented as a community that embraced law and order, not this, this vigilante type of, of activism. Um, but to your point earlier, you know, Jerome Boyd, that, that, entire story is probably one of the most interesting that has come out of the jail. Um, So that happened in 1933. And Jerome was actually in the jail for killing um, uh, Sheriff Winningham in the the next county over. They had gotten into an altercation and um, the shots were fired. Nobody knows really who shot first, Mm -hmm. uh, but, but the sheriff did end up getting killed and Jerome went on the run. And a mob pursued him because he was, uh, you know, obviously he killed the sheriff Um, and he ended up giving himself up at the jail after the mob confronted Jerome's father and killed him. Mm. And so after they killed him, Jerome said, "Okay, I'm going to give myself up. He did present himself at the jail and he was put um, in, in there. And there was another inmate who was in there. His name was Harvey Winchester. Now, he was in jail for murdering two deputies. He had gotten drunk. And he, on one of these drunken sprees, he ended up killing two deputies. So they were both in there together. About eight days, eight days later, after Jerome was arrested, a mob busted into the jail. They went in and they, they got Harvey Winchester. They got Jerome Boyett and they took him out. And it was, it was really a brutal type of of murder for the both of them um you know the, they they did string them up after they had killed them but um they their bodies were littered uh, riddled with bullets you know they were told to run um naked with a rope around their necks and they were pulled back so it was, it was it was very brutal um but it is one of the stories that do that does come out of the jail and one of the probably most well known in the county yeah yeah i mean it's 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 reading up that you know the, the whoever these this mob was they did also kill ransom or rants his father yeah. um the the well, didn't they didn't he um wasn't the sheriff's son shot or something he was he, he well. and they ended up yeah so they were coming back they they he was actually working at the stearns coal camp up in uh uh in the neighboring community up across the line in kentucky and so um they were riding they were riding the train back to uh to one of the coal camps there and that's when you know that's when the dispute happened uh and as christy said they don't know really who shot first but during that sheriff winningham and his son were shot yeah i mean it, it it's 
I, when I was reading it in the newspaper accounts from the time, I must admit, I was like, you know, shocked was that, 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 and the reason I asked about, do you think the jail was built to intimidate the workers? It was kind of a loaded question. It wasn't meant to be disrespectful because some of the accounts I read were that the jail really was trying to do the right thing. They were trying to protect people like Jerome or Rome um, so that he could have a fair trial and it wasn't going to be influenced by the company men. It wasn't going to be influenced by the vigilantes um, because it couldn't, can't someone be deputized literally at a click of, you don't have to go through training to be a deputy. You can just, here's a badge, you're a deputy, mm -hmm. which you know, where I don't know about your 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 normal police force in, in the States, but you have to go through two years worth of training in the UK. Mm -hmm. and, and, and for the most part, you do here as well. Mm. Now, at that time, it, when um, Harvey Winchester, he, as I said before, he was in jail for killing two deputies. And that's exactly what happened. So mm. he was on a, a, this drunken rampage and the sheriff at the time deputized his son and his son's friend on the spot and mm. said, let's go get this guy. And mm. they, they were the two that ended up being killed by Harvey Winchester, which is why he was in the jail when Jerome was put into the jail as well. Um, so to your point, it, it was one of those where the, the lawmen of the community, they really strove to get law and order. But, mm. you know, when you're over run with a mob of 25 people busting through the door it's kind of tough to do that because they yeah. did yeah was it ethan, ethan laxton was the prison warden uh, yes yes mm -hmm. he was at the at the time correct yeah. and he got injured in the process didn't he because he tried to stop them he did he was the one um so so the story is told by anvil clemens but um it's based on ethan and that's how um, Anvil got the nickname Anvil was because he was he was beat so bad whenever they came in that they said he looked like he had been beaten like an anvil. Wow. And so that's where the name Anvil Clemens comes in. So is Anvil Clemens real? Anvil Clemens is a it, it's a name change. It's a wow. name change of a real character because, you know, one thing one thing you kind of have to understand, too, about the area is the fact we are small. We are small. Yeah. We are rural. And so you still have generations left of the Winningham family, the um, the Boyett family. And so and, it, and it's actually a, a very. D depending on circles you sit in, it's it's a very uh, it can get become a heated topic because yeah. you know you have you know Team Winningham and Team Boyett and different people have different takes on how it happened and so that's the beautiful thing I think about how Gason wrote the story was um, he it's 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 supposedly the most truthful accurate account of the events that took place because he is if I'm not mistaken I believe he is the great grandson of anvil and so um yeah so he had some some firsthand knowledge on this and so he's you know it's it's one of those things where you know he wrote it very well he wrote it very um well not to be one-sided i guess and not to be taking a side the story we're talking about it's called high winds quest for rome and it's a book all about what we've just been talking about the 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 incident with uh Rome, his father Rance, some other lynchings that took place. Um, there was a Barney Graham, I believe yeah. is his name, mm -hmm. Graham, who was also lynched. Um, and I say, if I put this, this is the book, you can you can actually get it in the UK on Amazon. You can obviously get it from your shop as well mm -hmm. if you're in the US. 
I really enjoyed it. I, I read it in two, less than two days. I'm actually going to try and dig out some more of his, but is it the mist in the mountains and mist in the yes, mountains? In the mountains. And, and that is uh, also a true account. It's actually a true account of another story that comes from our jail and the author, he, I mean, he's great. We had a book sign in there at the jail. He oh, did wow. give us, we are the only exclusive sale sellers of the paperback version. Uh, otherwise they do, as you said, have it online. Um, but that's actually written about one of our sheriffs mist in the mountains is written about one of our sheriffs here. And, uh, he got involved in uh, the cocaine trafficking game with, uh, El Chapo out of Mexico. <laughs> so, yeah. So we get a lot of calls about mist in the mountains. It's, it's currently only a, an electronic release right now. And he's actually working on a box set for, uh, that's going to be going with the high winds, the mist in the mountains. And, uh, there may actually be another book if I'm not mistaken, but, um, he's going to be releasing all those in paperback that we'll be having here. So definitely suggest checking out mist in the mountains, because that's, again, that's a story that's, that's pretty near and dear. And we're working on some exhibits for that, for the jail. Well, being, being a historian, I'm always a bit skeptical with historical novels because I've seen too many of them Hollywood eyes, mm -hmm. all the facts. I don't think they need Hollywoodizing in this. <laughs> um, no. And I have to say the main character, Anvil, I really liked him. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of hoping he'd stay with Martha. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Especially when he started talking World War One stuff, I was like, "Oh, please stay, please stay." She's the one for you. So yeah, when you get invested in characters as well, you know it's good. And and I, I, me being me, I did double check a few other things in there, and I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, "That's actually what I found out." Oh, cool. Uh, so yeah. yeah, really, I can I can recommend it if anyone's looking for a historical novel that will make sense. Some of the stuff we're talking about as well, High Winds, Quest for Rome, and I will put an advert on the Haunted Histories. Thank you I think for the book as well for people. So um, yeah, if, if the author gets some sales, I want commission. <laughs> <laughs> so do we. <laughs> or, or, or I'll donate, I'll donate my commission back to the jail. There you go. There you go. There you go. No, he is, Mr. Gason is, is fantastic. And uh, we're looking forward to his other stuff. He's very interested in the paranormal aspect is of it? things as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he, he wasn't into it as much before, but we've actually had different paranormal teams who have collected some really cool evidence that uh, we're able to back up from the book. Um, you know, just a, just a quick kind of story about that speaking of Anvil Clemens. So before the book was actually released, before it was even publicized, um, Christy and I got an early release copy of it. And it just so happened that uh, the team that was investigating the very next night, um, Christy and I were sitting there looking at the book, kind of, you know, looking at details on it. Well, the team that came investigating the next night, they ended up on their ovulus getting the word anvil and they ended up getting it three times throughout the night. And so um, a lot of the time the paranormal teams will come in and they'll say, Hey, you know, these were some of the different words. These are some of the different things we got. What is the significance of this? And so um, I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. So I said, let me reach out to the author because I ended up pulling out our advanced copy. And I said, interestingly enough, this book has a guy named Anvil in it. So I reached out to the author and it was kind of late that night. And so he got back with me first thing the next morning. And apparently he saw the message kind of in a sleepy haze and he couldn't sleep after he saw it. And he said here, you know, he goes, 
you really blew me away last night. And he goes, I don't know how I necessarily feel about the paranormal, but let me tell you, um, Anvil is. And so he has, he explained to us what I had told you about, um, the nickname and, uh, being beat like an anvil. And so, um, he said, you know, nobody would have known that because it's a name that he came up with. The book hadn't been released yet. And so that got him really interested in more. So we ended up talking a little more to the paranormal team and, um, you know, they had captured it in a specific area of the jail, which we were able to, you know, that was kind of the area that he was beat in was where they ended up capturing that. So it's really cool to be able to go in now, had the book come out, I don't know, you know, I might've been a little more skeptical, but that's the type of stuff we get there at the jail, the Ovilus, the SB7, um, different tools like that, that are word makers. We get a lot of words where the spirits will confirm a lot of historical information. They'll talk about, you know, what you're doing, what you're wearing, events that are happening around. They'll talk about the articles and the artifacts that we have in there. It's really quite fascinating how that's worked out. And, uh, we're, really excited to see kind of how that progresses so the jail itself i believe was it 1904 it was built yeah Yeah. and then it was excuse me extended in 1922 with the third correct yep yeah so the jail was built in 1904 and then in 2000 uh, in 1922 there was a fire that destroyed the second floor so they decided instead of just repairing it we're going to go ahead and add this third floor and make that maximum security and so then it was an operation until with inmates inside it was an operation until 2005 it closed permanently in 2008 and then it really set vacant until 2021 when Miranda and I Uh, came in and really started this museum and and history highways and haunts. There was a period in 2017 where they they did get a tourism grant to uh, repaint the walls, put in some windows and the air conditioning unit and such. But uh, but basically it sat vacant uh, until we came in and, and really kind of brought it back to life. Wow. And, and, and help, help a British person out here. What's the difference between a jail and a penitentiary? So a jail is a location where you've got inmates who basically have a county sentence. So a a shorter sentence, anywhere from one one month to a year. A Mm. penitentiary uh, will hold prisoners that have federal offenses with prison time more than a year. So anything that requires either if you've got a state sentence or a federal sentence, you're going to go into a penitentiary or a prison. For a jail, you've got a lighter sentence of, of, you know, one month to a year. So I had to say Paul Harvey Winchester, who was only 17 when he was lynched. I mean, mm-hmm. I do you want to stress that he was 17? Mm-hmm. He'd been found guilty of killing those two deputies. Where would he have been moved to? Because obviously his sentence would have been longer than a year if, if he hadn't received the Because de- you have the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is the yeah. yeah the death penalty was and is still available. Um, mm-hmm. So he either would have been sentenced to death, or he would have been moved to a state penitentiary, um, either in Nashville. And in, in that time, you know, uh, Brushy Mountain had been established, so he probably would have gone to Brushy or Nashville or another state mm-hmm. penitentiary. Right. Yeah, because we did have we did have one that was actually what that um, was executed there by the state that was housed in the jail, and it was a very very swift justice. And that was in 1928. And he was a, an officer there at the jail, but he did end up um, killing a local doctor as well as a, uh, another deputy there at the jail. And so um, when he was, he was brought back 
to uh, the Scott County Jail. He was only in there for about three days, and they actually had trial at that point. I mean, very, very swift justice. And then he was sent to Nashville and he was in Nashville up until he was executed in the electric chair. Mm -hmm. And so out of all the seven right now, we've got seven. We're starting to find just a couple more, but seven um, inmates that were put to death. um, Six of them were by lynchings. The one was sanctioned by the state and that was the electric chair. Wow. So how how many inmates could the jail hold? What was its maximum number? Before the third floor was added, the maximum number was 32. Um, after the, the third floor was added, um, it was it was sanctioned to hold 50. Uh, but during times of overcrowding, especially in the, the 1960s, 1970s, when you have a lot of drugs, um, uh, crimes being committed and such, there we've had inmates and, and jailers alike come in and tell us that there was upward of 100 120 people, oh. both men and women. I was going to ask, housed, was it? It was a mixed in the jail. It was a mixed mm-hmm. jail, wasn't it? You, mm-hmm. you would have men out. That must have caused all manner of issues. <laughs> <laughs> I would think so. Yes. Crikey! Because I, I found some old census records from the 70s to do to do with it, and it was saying how many people were there at this point, how many people had a one year max sentence, and and it wasn't that busy according to these census, but right. it, the fact that there was men and women. Mm-hmm. No, and there was what uh, six individual cells, two for two people, and then seven for three to four people, and and all those kind mm-hmm. of things. And it was just, but there didn't seem to be that many custodial officers to look after potentially fifty odd mm-hmm. or more, right? Um, yeah, albeit short term inhabitants, but mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and and having friends who are corrections officers, prison officers it's hard work. Yeah. And it would shift. I mean, it would shift. There would be times of great overcrowding where essentially anywhere they could lock a door, they would throw mattresses down and put people in. Other times it was a little more open and a little more free. And, you know, we did have some inmates there that did serve longer sentences. Uh, We had a couple of those, they were trustees, they were in there for murder. Uh, I've known one that had served what, seven years and another that was I think maybe five. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did have some more long, a couple of long-term inmates there, but um, for the most part, you know, it was, um, it was mostly maximum security up on the third floor, uh, women in one section, and then the trustee cells down on the second floor. And of course, those were the ones that worked within the community with the road department and, and that sort of thing. What are the trustee cells? So a, a trustee is an inmate who, to Miranda's point, is essentially trusted to do different tasks. So oh. their cells are larger and more open. So if you look at him, it really just looks like a large concrete room. There's not the traditional bars. Only on the outer windows do you see the traditional bars. So it's open. It has bunk beds inside of it. And these were the, the guys and gals who were allowed to go out and work on, pick up road trash, yeah. um, work on cars for the, the, for the, um, the sheriff's department, uh, to Miranda's point. Point, we did have one trustee. He was supposed to be transferred to Brushy because he was in there for murder, but the sheriff worked out a deal with the state where he stayed in our jail for seven years because he was a master mechanic and he worked on the, the cars for the sheriff, thereby saving the county money. 
Um, so trustees were, again, those inmates who were trusted to do different tasks and they were free to come out of their cells at various times. Yeah. Um, and then the maximum security, when you go up to the third floor, those are the traditional bars cell that you see, you know, in, in jails and prisons. Um, so, you know, that's where those that really needed that maximum security lockup, that's where they right. were housed. Yeah. yeah. So now currently there's, there's nine cells up on that third floor. One of them, the, the, the women's cell kind of functions at one time, it did function as a trustee cell, but it's got enough beds to, to hold four women. And it's got as private as it can be. It's got a stall for, for the bathroom there. The others, they're just kind of open in the cells. I don't, I mean, historically though, would there have been many women who had to be housed in the maximum security? Cause I mean, you know, when I've looked at criminal, and you'd know more about this than me, but when I've looked at criminal reports, women tend to get arrested for drug dealing, prostitution, rarely the murders and assaults and things that mm-hmm. are the more serious offences. Would that be similar in the sort of records books that you guys have got? Correct. So historically speaking, you know, in, in, in the early 1900s, obviously it wasn't as prolific to have women in, in the jail. Um, when you start working into the 1960s, 70s, 80s, when drugs really started coming into fruition and, and moving through the county, you did have those type of crimes that women were committing. Um, and so then that just leads to other things such as assault, um, you know, domestic violence. So they were in there for those. Um, some of them were in there for murder, um, you know, that they were housed there while they were awaiting their, their trial for murder and such. Um, so you you did have the need for those women's cells, those, those different, you know, isolated from the men's cells. Um, it wasn't, as I said before, very prolific, but during those later years in the 90s into the early 2000s, yeah, women were housed in there pretty Yeah, much. and they shifted a lot of the cells around a lot. I mean, we talk about this on our tours that with each different administration, different rooms and areas were used for different things. So for instance, from when the jail started up until the um, 60s, around 63, the jailer actually lived inside of the jail. And so he lived there on the bottom floor. So if you were the jailer, your wife was the cook and you would cook for the inmates, your family. And a lot of the time there were kids and stuff that would come by to visit their friends who lived in the jail. So, um, so that was going on at that time. But after the families moved out, they ended up converting those rooms downstairs into, um, you know, administration office, medical. And then also they did use those same rooms as sales later on, because they did have more of an influx of women come in at that point. So, um, so it's interesting, especially with that and with the hauntings. So when we tell people when they come in, you're going to experience a lot of different hauntings from a lot of different time periods, because these rooms were used for, for many different things throughout each of the administrations. Because one of the interesting things I've found is if I've gone into a prison that's predominantly a male prison, the women tend to get targeted a lot more, the female investigators. Yet when you go into a prison that was more of a, a female prison, the men, I mean, I, I had it <coughs> I had it recently. We did, my husband and I did an investigation at a, it's, it was called a Bridewell. Um, and it was, it, it, officially that was more for women, but they would, if there, there was there was a local murder case where he was brought there, a bit like they would have been brought to a jail and then sent, to the penitentiary is something mm-hmm. that happened to him. So the Bridewell was for short-term sentences. And most of the women who were brought in, it was being drunk and disorderly, lewd behavior, you know, the smaller sentences. But what was interesting is whenever I've done a, a, a big prison, which is, predom- is male, you know, I've 
had things happen to me. Like I've, I've had my hair flicked or I've, I've, I have actually had my bum pinched, that kind of thing. But doing the bride well, it was my husband that got it. And, <laughs> there you and go. I, I, I thought he was hilarious, especially when I was using the K2 to try and communicate with whoever this spirit was. And I said, do you want me to leave you alone, my husband, in this room? And it said it flashed up to red. And I was like, dude, you're OK? And he went, yeah, sort of. <laughs> and I left him. And yeah, he's battering away. So mm-hmm. it, 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 I wonder what what the the sort of do you what do you find in yours? Do you find it's more they're more interested in the female investigators or the male investigators, or is it six or one of us or the other? It depends it's, on it's the a, area. <laughs> yeah, it's actually both. Um, so when uh, when investigators who are male go into one of the trustee cells that was predominantly for women, um, the the males seem to have different interactions if they go in there just either alone or with another male. Um, for example, we had a friend of ours who's also a paranormal investigator. He came to support us on our opening day, and he w- he was walking up, just kind of touring the jail. So he walked up to that that cell and he walked inside and something grabbed him and spun him around. And um, yeah, so, and, and when other men walk into that room, they get a different feeling than females do. But now then you go up to the maximum security level, which was predominantly male. And you go into one of our cell blocks up there. It very much is skewed toward women. Um, If you Mm -hmm. have an all female team or, or or we have a co-ed team that comes in, we say, let the females in the team sit here for a little bit by themselves because you're going to get different activity. And it, it really is both. <laughs> so it's yeah. a cool, cool way to do it. Equal opportunities haunting. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Cause, cause again, you know, it could be varied, you know, there, there could be times that there may have been more women in there than men, but for the most part, there was more men than women. So uh, it just depends on where you're at. And I guess, you know, we find a lot of people that uh, work in corrections, work in law enforcement they get some different types of activity. Um, we've had people who have kind of drawn on either their past criminal background or their family's criminal background um, as a talking point, and they've gotten interesting activity from that. So um, it it just varies on the spectrum. It's it's um, you know it's it's really interesting because you truly never know what you're going to get when you go in there because they really seem to really like interacting. Mm-hmm. so what's what's I mean what's been your favorite experience either you've had or, or a guest has told you they've had I mean we've had the anvil thing which is pretty cool mm-hmm. what's been your sort of thing that's made you go yes <laughs> well the interesting thing about the jail is we get those experiences those yes experiences almost on a daily basis um so you know Moran and I'll be sitting in there or one of us will be sitting in there and we'll hear footsteps run across we'll hear um doors slamming on the second or third level I mean to the point where we don't even go and look anymore we're just like <laughs> y'all calm down because we're voices I'm, ty- I'm tired of running up 33 <laughs> stairs to figure out what your problem is um so but uh I- I'd say probably one of the most compelling things that I've seen come out of the jail um we had a um uh, we we offer public ghost hunts and so we and that's where we allow guests to come in and they investigate with miranda and myself and so miranda had um we had split up and miranda and a couple other ladies were down in our drunk tank area 
And we had told them, if you're going to take pictures, snap three in a row, right? So you can have validation pictures. And so this woman, um, she, we had a REM pod inside one of the, uh, the former drunk tanks. And so you see the, the red ambient light from the REM pod. And um, they had had different interactions. So that prompted her to start taking pictures. Mm-hmm. And she took three in a row. Boom, boom, boom. Number one, there's nothing in it. Number two, there's nothing in it. When you get to the third one, there's clearly a shadow figure that's standing there in that doorway. And so that to me is probably one of the most compelling because there we've tried, we've tried to debunk it and there's just no way to debunk it. I mean, um, you know, there was nobody standing there there, nobody had moved. And so that, that to me is one of probably the most compelling pieces of evidence that we've captured. Yeah. I mean, we've had everything from, from physical top activity, from pictures being, you know, pulled off the walls to, um, you know, I guess probably one of my favorite, um, it was, it was one I'd experienced myself and, you know, the jail is the jail. It's, it's resident spirits are not just inmates. We've got, we've got sheriffs, former sheriffs there as well. And, uh, are very, very, very tell whenever, um, you know, whenever we're starting our tours or when we're talking to the paranormal investigators is about Sheriff R.D. Ellis and how in 1925 he was bringing in a moonshiner and he was shot ambush style from behind as he was bringing that moonshiner in. And so his body was brought into the jail and prepared for burial. And he's one that we do believe is, is still there. Some of the evidence that we've, we've captured. He was a Baptist preacher and he ran under the strong uh, stance of getting rid of moonshiners and restoring law and order. And so we believe that was something that was very, very important to him was keeping that law in order. And so um, after, you know, after our first investigation that uh, we had had there, um, the team, they had left, I was going up to clean up and lock up for the night. And as I was coming out of the room to go put some things into another room, um, I hear this really deep, rich hum and it went on for about six seconds, which is, you know, quite a long time in paranormal time. And, um, I turned afterwards to go get my stuff. And as I walk back into the room, we have a security camera in there and, um, you can kind of see that I'm a little bit shaken by it. And so as soon as I go in there, you hear two male voices. One says, there she is. And the other says, not so loud next time. And so um, they're clearly aware. And, uh, you know, I had reached out to Christy, you know, that next morning and I said, hey, that humming was incredible. And I'm like, see if you captured it on any of our security cameras. So she was actually listening for the humming, um, which it was too far away to, to capture there. But to hear those voices and to hear them say, you know, that they, they knew what they were doing. They knew I was there and they knew that I heard them uh, was, was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, then again, you got that amazing one at Brushy, didn't you? That still says I did. my spine when I hear it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I did. Yeah. So, I mean, so it, it's not uncommon. We get a lot of that. We've got a lot of stuff that leads us to, um, you know, believe that Sheriff Ellis, um, uh, Jerome Boyett, um, and, and, and just a, a slew, I mean, within a hundred years of existence, you know, there's a lot of people that pass through there. Mm-hmm. And then like we had mentioned earlier about with the water that's there and the local sandstone and everything, um, you know, so it's just something that it's, it's really neat to be able to 
capture those and then also be able to kind of tie them together and get a consistency so you can kind of put a name with a spirit that you're you're communicating with well we did i don't know if we actually recorded that the building itself is made of local sandstone isn't it and obviously sandstone has a high amount of quartz in it quartz is meant to be a very good channeler of Mm -hmm. psychic energy and you were saying that you mentioned this on your tours when you you explained to people why you think this might be a factor correct we do so to your point the jail is made up of of sandstone bricks they're four feet by three feet by six feet so they're they're thick and hardy bricks um and then we have the the river that runs probably um it's probably about 30 to 40 yards behind our jail uh there's a river there's a waterfall and all of that and there's also the native american influence that's in the you know just in the area as well so we think all of these are conductors of paranormal and 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 that's the reason why this little jail is so active i mean I've been all over the country investigating and I can honestly say that this jail is probably one of the most intelligent haunted locations that I've ever investigated Uh, to Miranda's point, you know, the the spirits will call out what you're wearing. Um, If you have some type of emblem or something on your t-shirt, it's very common for you to, to, for, for us, for them to get a name. Like for example, we had a, a flashlight tour and a guy was wearing a tech nine hat. And as soon as he walked into the, sell the avala said nine um and so just different things like that they'll say what you're wearing what you're uh, you know they'll repeat what you're saying um mm-hmm. it, it's just it's an amazing experience to be a part of yeah we've had i mean we were doing a flashlight tour and a mom and son were kind of walking around opposite corners from each other. And what we always do when we do the flashlight tours is for the last probably 15, 20 minutes, we turn the lights on and let them kind of roam about and look at the museum. And so right about that time, the mother and son kind of come around the corner, meet face to face. Well, all of a sudden the mom screams because he spooked her and the ovalist yells out surprise. So it's just, they do that all the time. It's, mm-hmm. it's so interesting. Just some of the things that they'll say. And we always tell the investigators don't discount the subtleties because the subtleties are something, something kind of big. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So is it, is it quite a friendly feeling place or is it quite a sort of, you need to be on your guard? Cause you know what I mean? But a lot of people like they'll say Alcatraz and they'll say, Oh, I felt really scared in Alcatraz. Blah, blah, blah. I actually didn't. I've never investigated, but I have visited it. I actually found it quite relaxing, but a lot of people I know said they, and so I don't know how much of that is sort of psychological feeling. They, mm-hmm. But what kind of vibe does the building get? Do people walk in and go, Oh, or do people walk in and go, actually, this is surprisingly chilled almost <laughs> well, during, during the day you know you have those people walk in and we'll have guests walk upstairs and um again the the paranormal is aspect of it is not prevalent when you walk in we don't advertise a lot of it but you'll have people that'll walk upstairs and they'll come back down and say you know is this haunted because i felt this or i saw this or i heard this um so but then during the night it does take on a different vibe um i i can honestly say i've never been scared but because so much happened there, you're always on your toes as to what's going to happen, right? Right. So you go up at night and you turn the lights off and you're kind of anticipating a noise or you're kind of anticipating a voice. So there's a lot of anticipation, I guess I would call it, um, of of what am I going to experience when I go upstairs to the second and third floor. Um, But I've I've never been scared, but you're always kind of on your toes. Right. And and I totally buildings that you go into, you do have that feeling of, oh, this ain't great. You know what I mean? It's that kind of apprehension. 
mean, mm-hmm. just looking at it, it's got its own presence to it being this, this castle. And so, um, you know, some of, some of the sandstone is discolored and stuff. So it gives it just this, this ambiance and this, this feeling. Um, the second floor is, is, um, you know, you don't have a lot of ambient light. So it's, it's a darker floor. People are just coming up, you know, there's 33 steps to the top. So they're coming up halfway. People often talk about, it being a heavier feeling, whether that's because it's darker and you've walked up 22 steps at that point, or whether it is kind of dark, darker, it's hard to say, but there's times it's, it's a little creepy mm-hmm. at times. Right. And, uh, I mean, I'll say, you know, when I audibly heard that humming, it froze me, you know, and I don't get freaked out very easily. It did freeze me. And I know, you know, in talking with Chris sometimes, because we'll do podcasts late at night and it's not uncommon for one of us. Usually we're not there at the same time, but sometimes we are. And, you know, sometimes we're there for 16 hours out of a day. And, um, you know, I know I've been kind of creeped out and I think you've called me a couple times with some creepy things happening Mm -hmm. and certain things we've heard. Um, I've never experienced anything like malevolent or demonic. You know, you're you're in a prison or excuse me, you're in a jail. So um, you're not going to necessarily be encountering some of the nicest people. And a lot of the time there's a lot of posturing and posing and stuff mm-hmm. like that that's going on. Um, you know, I do feel like they're happy with what we're doing. I do. I actually really think they like the, because one of the things we've got in there is we've got a true crime museum for the daytime tours. So people can come in and get a lot of history on Scott County. And if they want true crime, I mean, we got true crime. And so sometimes I, I think the, the spirits in there, I don't want to say whimsical, but I think, I don't know if they get kind of impressed by some of the stories and some of the stuff there, but I really feel like they like what we're doing and, and they kind of, like sharing their stories is what it sort of seems like mm-hmm. you need to interview me on your podcast when you're in the prison and see what the sound of my voice resonating through the prison we do yeah we absolutely we need do. To do that um and, and, and to marina's point it, it is almost kind of um there are points where there's whimsical stuff um you know we've you know, you hear location owners talk about things going missing when you go on investigations and stuff and you're like, uh, you know, whatever. Um, but it's a real thing, right? So, I mean, we've had items go missing that we cannot find. Um, when we first opened, we actually got the keys about two months before we actually had our grand opening. And uh, Miranda was cleaning on the second floor. I wasn't there at the time. So Miranda was cleaning on the second floor and she was running a shop back under the ledge of, of an old dumbwaiter system. And she just lodged a razor blade that had been taped up underneath that ledge and um like contraband and so she called me right away she said I'm not gonna believe this I found this razor blade it was taped up underneath here and so we had a table up there where we had our cleaning supplies and I said we'll put it on the table when I come in I want to take a look at it so when I when I went to the jail I walked upstairs and I didn't see the razor blade so I called down to her I'm like Miranda where's the razor blade she's like it's right there on the table I said it's not here on the table so she came up and sure enough the razor blade was gone and I have yet to see the razor blade it just completely vanished um we've had a pair of scissors uh red-handled scissors that we bought as for our supplies completely vanished have not seen them since September of last year um, so that's walked off. Uh, we had a paint scraper um, then it, that was on the second floor. It went missing and Miranda put her foot down. She said, you know, that's my dad's. Give me back my paint scraper. And we found it up on the third floor. 
Um, so, so all lethal things. weapons, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All no of our can sharks. of coke. No can of coke. No chocolate bar. <laughs> no. Nothing like that. Just things no. that could hurt people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, and it's just, it's interesting, right? Um, you know, we've had things appear. Uh, I was close, mm-hmm. you know, I was, um, I had open for the day tours and we had a paranormal investigation that night. And so between closing for the day tours and opening for the paranormal investigation team, Brandon, I'll go out and have dinner or whatever. And um, so I walked upstairs to close down so we could go out to dinner. And there was a, uh, one of our tickets that we give to the general public. One of our tickets was laying on the floor in the kitchen. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, somebody, one of the guests may have dropped it, right? So mm-hmm. I picked it up and it, it was very prominent on the threshold of the, the kitchen door. And um, so I picked it up, I put it in my pocket. I went downstairs and I said, you know, if somebody dropped the ticket, we'll just, you know, put it back into circulation. Don't wanna waste it. And so when we came back from dinner to, and I walked through again to turn the lights on for the paranormal investigation team, I walked into the kitchen and there's another ticket. It's, it's laying right exactly the same place that the first ticket was. So mm-hmm. I said, Miranda, here's another ticket. This is very interesting. I would have seen it. It was in the exact same spot as the first one. I would have seen it. And so that happens and just a lot of different things. And to Miranda's point, it really does seem like these spirits just really want to talk to us. They like that we're there. They like the interaction, um, but I have never felt anything evil, demonic, malicious, none of that. It's just, they want to talk. They want to let you know yeah. they're there. Same thing. You know, that same night, what's funny is that same night she found that ticket, oh, yeah. the team that was there, <clears throat> you know, we tell them, you know, cigarettes is something that's a good trigger item. And so nobody on that team smoked. So they had bought a pack of cheap cigarettes and neither Christy nor I smoke. And so um, they had gone up with their cheap cigarettes and they had divided it up between the team. And so they go up there and they're split up. Well, they set a cat ball down on the floor. There's nothing on the floor where they set it down there with a the light. Next thing you know, one of the guys didn't have a cigarette and he was like, oh, I don't, I don't have a cigarette to, to offer anyone and, and I don't have one to, to smoke. Well, next thing you know, the cat ball goes off. When they go down to pick the cat ball up, there's a cigarette laying on the floor and apparently it's an expensive, I guess maybe Marlboro or something. And so um, they come down and they, they see me and they're like, um, this is not one of our cigarettes and, you know, don't know where it came from, but one of them needed a cigarette. And so apparently one of our spirits gave him a cigarette. <laughs> so it's, I've never experienced anything like the intelligent or the disappearances or the appearances of stuff. It's, I'm sure a lot of location owners say that, but I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't experienced it myself. Yeah, likewise. Well it does sound fantastic. So what's the plans for this? What's the goal? What's coming up? <laughs> well, the, the reason we formed History Highways and Haunts LLC as a company is because, again, our goal is to find locations that we can help preserve through this business plan. And so our entire goal is to really establish ourselves at the historic Scott County Jail, um, preserve that building, but we also want to consult with other locations. We want to take our expertise as to what we've done here, uh, take our business plan, help other locations really achieve what we've achieved. Um, And, you know, 
to, to highlight the historic preservation of these locations, as well as allow paranormal investigations to be an economic driver. So, you know, my, my experience right now, and one of the talks that I'm, I'm kind of fascinated about is historic preservation and paranormal tourism. So we're using that and our experiences as really a catalyst to drive more paranormal tourism to these locations. Um, we've got data to support this. We've got our business plan to support this. And so that's really one of the things that we're trying to do with the company um, as, for, as with the historic Scott County Jail, obviously that for, to us is, is our baby. It's, it's something that we put a lot of time, money, sweat and tears into. Um, so so that, that's not going anywhere. So we're really gonna grow that. Um, we have got events planned, um, a lot of paranormal research um, uh, studies we're, we're taking on there as well. So a lot of different things that we're really excited about. Wonderful. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because we've had people from other communities come to look at our, our museum because, mm -hmm. you know, we've only been open since September and it, and it really is quite a robust crime and punishment museum. And a lot of these locations, you know, one of them in particular, it's an old jail. And so they, they are a not-for-profit, but it's one of those things of, of really just letting people know. I don't think people if you're not in the paranormal, I don't think a lot of them realize just how good of a business it is mm -hmm. in that sense for preservation, but then also for these not-for-profits, for instance, that maybe are doing, um, they're trying to look for ways to make money in the preservation area, but not spend a lot of money because they don't have it to spend. And so paranormal is really a no-brainer because, you know, it's... I mean, one, if you have the activity and if you have a, a safe, sound structure, and in some instances, not safe and sound, but, but if you have a safe, sound structure, I mean, that's something that, that can really work for you. Yeah. Oh, you're preaching to the converted. This is a this <laughs> conversation I've had with so many locations in the UK, but a lot of them are very like, oh, we don't want to go down the paranormal route because then people won't come visit because they'll think they're ghosts here. And, and I'm like, it doesn't seem to work like that. People, mm -hmm. you know, right. what would you rather do an event maybe once a month and keep mm -hmm. the place open or go, no, no, I don't believe in it. Therefore, I'm not even going to entertain that. And you have to shut in six months. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's it is kind yeah I see I have seen so you are preaching to the converted here I I, I think it's amazing what you two are doing I think you're Thank a dream team I'm looking forward to see what's coming next um, if you get any poor houses workhouses please let me know because that's a field I'm fascinated about the whole sort of social history side um, but how do people get in touch how if someone's in sort of Tennessee area. Then maybe they've popped over to Nashville to visit the Grand Old Opry and they want to come. <laughs> How do they go about it? Well, and that's the beautiful thing, too, because we are we are essentially two hours from most big areas um, or even an hour, depending on where you're at. So we're a good pass through location there. But um, the best way to find us is on our Facebook page under Historic Scott County Jail. Also, our website, www historicscottcojail.com and um, we have all of our different events on there as well as our hours and we're really striving we've got events every weekend and then we're uh, and those are you know the tour events but we're trying to get some big events that we'll be having at least a couple every month so that's the best way and then of course they can also reach out to us at 423-663-5353 brilliant Oh, thank you so much for being my guest. And thank you for what you guys won't realize because these two are utter professionals is whenever they saw me mute and start coughing 
they carried on talking for me. It was, <laughs> it, it was, it was almost like we'd planned it. <laughs> <laughs> we got your back, Penny. <laughs> uh, yeah, girl power on all that girl. Power. <laughs> well, thank you both for taking the time to talk with me. I've, I'm, I'm, I actually have discovered a new thing. I want to look into the whole coal lynchings and the companies and the bullying that the companies did of the, the, the employees and everything. I, like I say, I really don't need new things to look into, but um, it's another one that's going to go on my, if I find something, I will be reading up on it. because <laughs> It was across a huge area as well. It wasn't just like one place, was it? It's huge. So absolutely- it was and whole towns because these yeah. towns were built out of, you know, coal mining towns, you know, they had their own, their own script, their own money. And so that was one of their ways of controlling them was they would give them a job, they would give them a house, and then, um, and they would have the money that uh, they would um, had to spend at that company store or had to spend with on that property. So it was just, I mean, in a sense, it's, it, kind of is almost a form of slavery, um, just on a different level. So, so yeah, yeah it's, it's very interesting just in that, um, yeah, just in that area, how, how much control it had. Definitely. I mean, we had something similar in the UK with, with, with cotton mills and those, the, the mm-hmm. owners would build the school, they'd build the shop, they'd build everything. Um, and, and I had it with personal family members who was an iron worker. He died and his, his wife was told to leave the house within 48 hours and she had three small children. So you kind of it was it did seem to be a business model but it's um it's quite shocking the sort of the the vigilante justice that mm-hmm. and 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 the, and the fact that i mean we i didn't go in too much about rome because of like you say they're still family members but the fact that his case was never investigated i i i find quite it leaves a nasty taste in my mouth however I'm sure he's going to get some messages through along the next few years with you guys investigating. And I hope he does. And I hope he tells you who it was. <laughs> We're hoping. I'm not actually, I'm not actually meaning to sound like insincere. I really genuinely hope. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, we, we do as well. Mm. Yeah. What happened to him? What happened to his dad? What happened to um, young Winchester? Not, not on. Is mm-hmm. it not on? But thank you ever so much. And Absolutely. I'll put links to everything that you've got on Haunted Histories for people if they want to get in touch. Hopefully one day I'll get out to Tennessee. Who knows? I have a passport. I just just need the flight, really. Yeah, get some stamps, <laughs> Penny. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> but on that note, on that note, thank you very much to my, my lovely guests, Christy Sumner and Miranda Young. If you want to get in touch with them, please do through the... Um, the the historic historic scott county jail that's correct isn't it yes yes well um and on that note thank you so much for listening have a good evening sleep tight and don't worry too much about things that go bump in the night 